0: Oh my God, hi. This is Devin from Disney Adult, a podcast brought to you by the Trident Network. On Disney Adult, we bring together Chicago comedians to watch and discuss Disney movies from the perspective of adults. In these movies, there are things we love, things we hate, things that maybe haven't aged so well, and things that are timeless. Uh, The Trident Network's wonderful podcasts, including Disney Adult, can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Subscribe today hello and welcome to this episode of equally funny Uh, i'm your host kate rogan this is a podcast where we take a topic or an issue related to social justice break it down give you some history talk through present day impact and uh, hopefully make you laugh along the way. Joining me today as co-host is uh, Maria Kanapkin. Welcome, Maria.
1: Hey, how's it going? I almost waved. It's uh, <laughs> been a little while. <laughs> I think because we're just so used to being on Zoom yeah. and like waving, mm-hmm. so no one would have known until I put it that out.
0: Yeah, but this is a, <laughs> that's that's a lovely intro. Thank you so much, Maria. Okay, so Maria, I want to tell the audience a little bit about you. So I'm going to read this bio that you showed with me. Uh, Maria Kanapkin is. Am I saying it right now? I'm in my yeah. head. Okay, no, it's Kanapkin.
1: <laughs> okay. Also, you don't need to read the whole thing. I just like. Uh-huh. I just sent you the one I usually send to people, yeah. and it's, so you could just like pick which ones you like of the bio.
0: <laughs> oh no, we're going to read the whole thing. We're going to brag on you. So damn, Maria Kanapkin is a native to the beautiful city of phoenix arizona and is a performer writer producer and director in chicago she is a graduate of the io chicago torch theater and annoyance theaters and a three-time alta award nominee for her solo show my body is perfect storytelling and Medallia cruz and the Medallia cruz mentorship award Mm -hmm. is that did i say all those things right Okay, great. Uh, Maria also performs as a storyteller and a poet throughout the country and has written two solo shows, I Hate Stacy," a show about mental health and imposter syndrome, and My Body is Perfect, a show about how your body is perfect despite what we tell ourselves. She is also a producer, writer, director for the web series Pre-Existing, and a co-writer, co-star, and co-director of the web series In Diana, a workplace comedy. Maria currently performs with Matt Damon Improv, and the comedy dance show Burlesque is More. I'm going to have to ask about Burlesque.
1: You can <laughs> ask. It's, it's, um, it's, I miss it so much because yeah. I haven't been able to perform. Like it's a, a thing that happened it was a, a panda bear kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were able no, yeah. to like leave our houses. So, yeah.
0: No, I love that. So I do, I've done pole dancing for like 10 years, but I've never taken a burlesque class. And I'm fascinated by this whole sort of thought process of like the slow reveal and Mm -hmm. the performativity of it. How did you get into it? Yeah. So, uh,
1: wow. Doing quick math about three year, four, it's 24 years ago. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. It's 2017.
0: (laughs) 2017
1: was four years ago that that, that is that right or is it 2018 yeah. i think 2018 no it's three years. years okay no, but right. i didn't three it doesn't matter three years ago okay uh, there's a show i didn't know it's called burlesque is more which is a comedy and burlesque show and mm-hmm. i have always wanted to try out for it i always wanted to be in it because i saw it um but a lot of the bodies and the people in the show didn't really look like me um which is nothing wrong with that but like mm-hmm. when all the all the people don't look like you it's like very hard to like get in and also I've had like my own issues with my body and like taking it off in front of people it was like oh mm-hmm. my gosh um but they got a new director his name's Chris Carvick mm-hmm. and he was gonna change the show and he was like hey like you should audition and he asked like so many times, I was like, fine, I'll just like show up. Like, I don't really need to, I don't want to do this, but yeah. I'll
0: do it. Um, and Please so, stop talking to me about it. Yeah. yeah and <laughs> I,
1: and so I auditioned and I got in. I'm really proud of the work we're doing to show like that your body is, it doesn't have to be one type of body. It can, you, your idea of being feminine can be anything you want it to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just, it's such a beautiful art form. And to get up there and like, yeah, I'm taking my clothes off, but I'm like, it's an empowerment and almost like a, a, uh, I don't know what the right term is, but like, you don't see that a lot. So it's really great to be one of those people in the show and with
0: my cast, who's like so passionate about the show. So hopefully it gets to come back soon. Oh, that is awesome. I I want to be in the audience on the first show back and want to be cheering too loudly for you to be delivering your lines. I have a new goal it, in life. It's changed
1: me as a performer and as a person to where I'm like brave enough to like do this stuff. Like in my solo show, I hate Stacey. Mm-hmm. Um, I go through this journey of like, there's the voice in my head that tells me I'm like not good enough. And yeah. um, it was sort of like my ther- my first therapist was like, you know, I was like, I can't. I can't deal with like anxiety, and depression. Like, help help me figure this out. And she's like, "Well, you can't just deal it. Like, think of it as a person. The person you have to deal with. It, and think of the most annoying name, which was Stacy at the time. Yes, okay. sorry, her name's <laughs> Stacy. But yeah. I, so Stacy's like the voice in your head that tells you you're not good enough. You can't do something. So I try my soul shows about me trying things that kind of scare me or moments that kind of scare me, um, mm-hmm. in a positive way. And at the end, I do a, a dance where I um take off like my clothes and I'm just in my bra underwear and I dance to Keshen's rainbow and then mm-hmm. I just paint I paint myself um and so showing like these are my true colors no matter what they look like so it's it's very powerful I think god <laughs> damn it.
0: Maria okay I gotta <laughs> work on some other projects all right yeah I'm
1: done. <laughs> let's go I love
0: them oh mm-hmm. that's so awesome and I feel like um your mention of your show um I hate Stacy. <laughs> I love that their I love that the depression and anxiety's name is Stacy. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of pivots us into our show topic for the day, which is mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that it's uh, helpful to sort of like get everybody on the same page at the top of an episode um, with uh, aligning on like some shared definitions. And so how we do that is we do a little segment called "Let's Get Definitional." And I'll present you as our co-host with three options for what you think the definition of mental health is. And then uh, we'll ask you to answer. So, um, all right, here we go. So, Maria, is mental health option A, a Will and Grace spinoff script that never (laughs) made it out of development, wherein Jack and Karen opened up a therapy practice for celebrity dogs? Oh, my God. (laughs) So that's option A. Okay. Okay. Uh, is mental health option B an issue that, as a society, we have totally nailed? Especially <laughs> when it comes to our prioritization of building robust systems of intersectional and culturally competent care for all who wish to develop skills and access resources to support their mental health journeys. Yeah. That's option B. Or is option <laughs> or is uh, mental health option C? A dynamic state of internal equilibrium, which enables individuals to use their abilities in harmony with universal values of society, basic cognitive and social skills, the ability to recognize, express and modulate one's own emotions, as well as empathize with others, flexibility and ability to cope with adverse life events and function in social roles and harmonious relationships between the body and the mind represent important components of mental health, which contribute to varying degrees to the state of internal equilibrium. And I should note in this definition, the values uh, they are referring to as the universal values of society are respect and care for oneself and other living beings, recognition of connectedness between people, respect for the environment and respect for one's own and others freedom. So what do you think, option A, B or C? I wish it was A because that would be like fun, but I think it's C. It is C. (laughs) Unfortunately, it's not B. We haven't nailed it yet at all. No. Um, (laughs) But I I will say that I was like, when I was trying to come up with a definition to use for this section, it was really tricky. Like, I looked at some common places where, or like organizations that I thought would have like really robust definitions of what it means uh, or like a definition of mental health and like, I looked at the WHO like site, and it was like, ooh, this doesn't feel inclusive or really representational at all. And it also a lot of them also like aligned mental health to people's um, sort of ability to be productive in capitalist societies, which was really interesting as, as yeah. well. So this was the definition that I was able to find that I thought was. Pretty inclusive. And it was pulled from a 2015 article from the um, journal World Psychology. And I'll include a link to it um, in the show notes. Um so we've sort of like set the stage for what the kind of overarching definition or idea of mental health is. Um, and I think at the top of the episode, we should also just put out there that um, Uh, big caveat, like Maria and I are not mental health experts. No, (laughs) we are. We are not practitioners. We are not providers. Um, But we are going to talk about this topic uh, from our own personal perspectives, give folks a little bit of a history and some stats that we have. We have done some research on this stuff. But um, if you have questions, I would uh, consult your providers before making any decisions around yeah. your mental health.
1: <laughs> I would like to say I am an advocate, though, for it, yeah. um, because and I say that is having done research from my own health and the show and just in general, I feel like I can like let people know and we'll talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. stigma and have you is like give them that comfort and point in the right direction. Um, so I like to say that I feel like at least I am. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I did not go to school.
0: I cannot diagnose you. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. end of list. Yeah, end yeah. of list. No, I like that. I like that. We are not experts, but we are advocates. Um, so with that, um, I think we're going to dive into historical context a little bit around um, mental health and mental health care. Um, I took this section and I think... I was kind of struggling with how to approach this section, because I think it's difficult to talk about mental health and mental health care without um, sort of talking about mental illness, particularly as sort of thinking about how the field of mental health and mental health care has developed um, over history. And I also want to admit at the top of this that this is definitely like a European and a Western version of the history of thinking about mental health and mental health care. but it was sort of what I was able to pull together for this episode. And I got a lot of this from PBS's uh, docuseries, The Mysteries of Mental Health, which people can watch online for free. And I recommend. Mm-hmm. OK, here we go. Are you ready, Maria, for a history I'm lesson? Ready. All I'm you're right. ready. Let's go. <laughs> so we are in fifth century B.C. in Greece. Um, people believe in the Greek gods at this point. Oh, God, I, I said that and I don't even know if that's actually true, but I'm going to stick with it. I think it's true. I feel like
1: it you know, is, it's not someone will be like, yeah. yeah, I look forward to
0: being called out about it. Um, that's that's so, the thing
1: we get called out about.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly in this episode. Um, OK, so we're in fifth century Greece. Uh, or fifth century bc in greece and at this time uh hippocrates is coming onto the scene the guy that like wrote the hippocratic oath and and all of those things or, or at least who the Sorry, hippocratic I Oath thought, is really i was wrong. gonna
1: make a joke about being a hypocrite but i knew that <laughs> <laughs> i knew that
0: <laughs> it's entirely possible he's the origin of that too i don't know we'll have to look it up later yeah um Okay, so Hippocrates comes onto the scene and it sort of initiates this beginning of sort of shifting or a movement away from thinking about um mental illness or people who are suffering from mental illness as like a curse from all these gods that live up mm-hmm. in the sky, um, toward more towards something that was like contained in the body. Like Hippocrates is sort of one of the first person, first people to sort of propose that idea. Mm-hmm. And he comes up with this concept uh, that is related to humors in the body. So uh, essentially, it's an idea that there were four humors or like key elements in the body and that when they were out of balance, uh, that is what caused problems. And I can't be positive, but I'm pretty sure the four humors are uh, yellow bile, black bile, blood and phlegm. So just a great idea of like what's contained in your body and it right Yeah, around
1: i'm there. gonna take your word on it i do okay. not know mm-hmm. i would mm-hmm. get really squeamish <laughs> i did not study to be the doctor for this reason also uh, my brain doesn't think that way so
0: yeah yeah <laughs> so Okay, so Hippocrates is like, all right, we've got all these humors, they're, they're like located in the blood, the blood like circulates them around the body. When they get out of whack, that can be a cause for all sorts of ailments, including mental illness. Um, and so when something was wrong with people, they tried to diagnose which humor was out of balance or which element was out of balance. But because they were all contained in the blood, the way that they tried to fix it was by bleeding people a lot. So just a lot of leech work, a lot of lot of knives like. Uh, um, <laughs> and um, we all know that that's super helpful in treating yeah. all sorts of things, all sorts bleeding
1: of leading to death. Let's go. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It does fix whatever's wrong with you by being mm-hmm. dead. Um, I mean, you so, don't have to deal with it anymore. <laughs> No, nobody will. Yeah. <laughs> like, That's funny. <laughs> so um in all honesty, it sounds like this theory around sort of um humoral, which is really interesting because whenever I say humor, I think of comedy. I don't think of humors right. in the body, but uh humoral treatments uh lasted way too long. According to the PBS documentary um this theory shaped the treatment of the mentally ill for more than 2000 years after yeah. hippocrates came up with it and i'm trying to think about other medical theories that lasted for 2000 years and i came uh, up short i don't know if you have any off the top uh, of your head
1: no but i mean honestly so we're looking at 5th century BC so
0: yeah i don't yeah i don't think there is any no Wow. it'd be weird if there were yeah I'm sure that there are that being said maybe some sort of like herbal remedies that still work today yeah I think, I that think that's this, like something
1: yeah I think from western standpoint from yeah. eastern standpoint eastern wow mm-hmm. uh eastern mm-hmm. medicine kind of thing a lot of the stuff that uh we'll kind of probably get into it that still that's worked for like physical and the mental ail- elements mm-hmm. are still like possible and used today especially like to help people wh- when like western
0: medicine can't yeah that's a good call out great point mm-hmm. um okay we found it it's uh, it's just not here in greece um yeah okay so um we ha- we have left uh fifth century uh bce and in the process um you know there's this dude his name's jesus he hangs out for a while and does some shit and then there's like Mm -hmm. this rapid expansion of christianity after he dies Um, very cool story very cool Mm -hmm. story um so uh with the rapid expansion of christianity around the fourth century a.d we're now Mm -hmm. um we're now after um those suffering from mental illness were often classified as being touched by the devil or demonic forces. So during this period, we kind of have this merging or like these two theories, right. Going on where it's like, you had like your humor doctors who were sort of, um, and then the church who were kind of like duking it out over how to deal with folks with who were suffering from mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. And um What they did was they sort of like sent you to somebody to be evaluated. And this was like the mother of all intake evaluations because a mentally ill person would be evaluated to try and determine if the source of the illness was in the body, which they would be sent to the humor doctors to be bled, or if it was contained in the spirit. And then they would be sent to like the church for an exorcism. So, So we it's have this nice dynamic spirit. between, like, humoral-based treatments, the bleeding, and then the church-based treatments going on for a while. Like we said, way too long. Like, this shit is lasting w- way too long in history. Like, we needed to to do more developments around mental health and mental illness quicker, but it didn't work out that way. Mm-mm. Um But in the 18th century, there begins to emerge sort of like a new philosophy for how to potentially treat folks suffering from mental illness. And it begins to be thought about as something that is actually contained in the mind, like in the brain, as opposed to being an issue of humors circulating around the body or um, having like a spiritual cause. Unfortunately, wild
1: for I don't like I don't know why he would have. And maybe because we know more now, but like, if you're if this stuff is like making you feel a certain way, wouldn't we know, like, and we can't physically see it, like, you know, your arms not turning blue, but like, mm-hmm. why would you go, no, nah, we're gonna go with the mind first, <laughs> or, or yeah. second, and then spirit first, like, that doesn't make any sense to me. No,
0: no, <laughs> like, I, I feel like if, if we get to this at the end, but it's like. How powerful like must the cultural forces have been at the time to make people be like, oh, this is the thing. This is the possibility. This is the reason. Right. Like and how powerful must like the church have been or like these theories around medicine have been and embedded into the cultures for people to just like be like, yeah, this must be it for 2000 years or whatever.
1: Well, a lot of it, too, is like um, and. Without doing more research on it, it's like a, it's almost like these people went into different cultures, like colonized them essentially. Cause a lot mm-hmm. of like, you have like a lot of cultures that like didn't believe in the church and didn't follow this stuff. And we like even right, like the La- Latin America, most of which is Catholic, there are other mm-hmm. religions, but that wasn't the religion that was there. It was like Spain and like Europe coming in and colonizing them and getting rid of. So we don't even have the information of like, if like my culture, like we might have a little bit, but other cultures didn't think this way, you know, It's right. is like, wow, because like
0: they got rid of it basically. Yeah. Like what have, what have we lost? Right. Like what have mm-hmm. cultures all over the world lost in this, the historical developments and cultures that were lost, like impacts completely how I think that we like, the The world of possibilities for how we think about mental health, right? And we have no like, and I again like have to do more research. We can't cover everything in this podcast, but like thinking about sort of ways that people maybe in different cultures thought about mental health, considered, and treated humans who were suffering from mental illness, like that could have been very different, right? Than like Mm -hmm. what was happening here, and we just don't know. Um. All right, now we both ranted a little bit. Let's. get back into history okay so we're in the 18th century we start to like sort of think about like maybe it's contained in the brain as opposed to the humors or the spirit unfortunately a lot of the treatments that were being trialed out during these times to figure out how to fix people's heads or their interactions with quote-unquote reality were quite barbaric we aren't going to get into them but it was awful yeah um Okay, so we're getting into more of the modern era. And here is where Freud comes onto the scene in Vienna. Um, And he starts talking about theories about how humans are sort of maybe born with these natural instincts, which are not always sort of available or present to our conscious minds. And he develops psychoanalysis with sort of the intention of bridging the gap and addressing the conflicts between the conscious and unconscious mind. And while Freud helped advance the field, he wasn't perfect. And like a lot of his theories were used by practitioners in in unethical ways. Um, so now we're getting into the 1950s and 60s. And this is when we sort of get the introduction of talk therapy and other treatments. Again, some are better than others. And um, that kind of brings us up into the modern era where I think you're beginning to see this shift towards not just treating mental illness, but a movement towards more holistic sort of mental health. Right. Some work to destigmatize mental health diagnoses and the development of more culturally competent practices that work towards uh, treating humans like humans. And again, we're not there yet, but we have come a long way from just getting sent to the dude with the leeches or the dude. That did <laughs> the right. So um, I did just want to call out like throughout this entire history, People were not treated equally, and diagnoses around mental illness were often based in the culture of the times. Women were diagnosed with hysteria for not functioning as they were supposed to, according to society. LGBTQIA folks were pathologized and diagnosed as ill for a long time. People of color were discriminated against, and racist theories were prevalent in the treatment of people who are suffering mental illness, And people with disabilities have often been ignored or categorized as mentally ill when that isn't the case. And the poor were often just put into this um, sort of gauntlet of trying to navigate mental health care and were often taken advantage of and Mm -hmm. experimented on. So the point is that the idea of what is normal when it comes to mental health and who we consider to be mentally ill is irrevocably tied to the culture in which we live and mental health care and theories about mental illness over the course of history have um, absolutely progressed and gotten better, but they have also been responsible for quite a bit of harm. Um, So on that downer of a note, I'm going to pass it over to Maria to sort of talk to us. Yeah, uh, about sort of present day impact um, around mental health or sort of present day context, I guess you could say.
1: Yeah, uh, thank you so much. So after hearing like, what a horrible it's been in the past, are we Mm -hmm. doing better? Uh, Well, as many of you, unless you were around somehow in the (laughs) world, uh, we've been living through a pandemic, um, Mm -hmm. which is like, has been harmful for a lot of our mental health but before even before the pandemic we saw according to mental health america our mental health actually getting worse um mm-hmm. overall like year over year um as of like 2019 9.7 overall use have severe depression but if you identify as more than waste race it's 12.4 um and when asking like you know before the pandemic like just putting that like okay these are smaller numbers uh mental health diagnosis had increased by 1.5 million people in 2017 and 2018 so like that's just like crazy This is even before the pandemic happening mm-hmm. um of course like we won't be seeing like the measurable impact like overall in the pandemic like they'll be more into it but what they can tell right now is four in ten americans I uh, said worried stress of the threat of COVID. Just the threat played a negative role in their mental health. One in three patients that were diagnosed uh, with COVID-19 are di- also diagnosed with the psychiatric or neurological condition within six months. And then one out of eight diagnosed with a mental health condition and anxiety or depression for the first time. So it's oh, like, wow. this is what we're seeing right now in a pandemic. And this is even, before. this is like the right now. But this was clearly like a problem that we saw like and going on. Um, so I just want to like the numbers. The next one is from this study that's talking about how it's impacting people and the screening mm-hmm. they do. So you can go to, um, let me get the name right. You go to Mental Health America right now and sort of get kind of like sort of helping you start your journey. Mm-hmm. of where you're going so some people did that through january 2020 to september 2020 and mm-hmm. so the mental health uh america saw a 93 percent increase in anxiety screening so that means people that were wondering if they had it and then how it could possibly oh, wow. be treated just in
0: that um yeah i then, feel like the, yeah. the pandemic <laughs> like i feel like mod- modern life is really tricky Right. Mm -hmm. And already, as it as demonstrated by those numbers from 2017 and 2018. And then you add a pandemic on top of this and a system that isn't capable of handling like the norm, quote unquote, like normal load. Right. Of like people who are seeking mental health care or who need help. And the pandemic just like opened up and like added stress to people's lives, isolated them um added all of these uh, like impacts to their lives which people require mental health care for right or to Mm -hmm. help uh, address and it's just like oh man we're not we're not doing great right now around some of this stuff like not at all
1: like and even people that like like go okay i need to get the help don't Mm -hmm. know where to get the help from and also, like, if they can figure it out, sometimes their assurance isn't happening. Sometimes they're uninsured, even like mm-hmm. uh, one fact that I was like, wow, on is that adults with mental, their adults with mental, with mental illness are uninsured, increase, increase since the passage of the Affordable Care Act, like increase, which is wild, because if you think about
0: what wait, can you say that again? Through, so, yeah, people who so uninsured people. The, yeah, the, the percentage perc- of uninsured people with mental health issues has
1: increased. Mm-hmm. Oh no, <laughs> <Uninsured>. <laughs> the first time. So about ten point eight percent are uninsured. About five point one million adults that have a mental illness who are uninsured. So even if they they want to get the help, there's not. This not an easy system. Yeah, there no. are there there are therapists that'll do a sliding scale. There are, there are organizations that'll help you, but also it's not, this information is not easy to find. I know when I was first getting help, I was very fortunate that I had someone like my mom who literally was like, let me help you because that task is, it's such an easy task on when you're in an okay mind of like, Mm -hmm. I'll look it up, I'll Google it. But when you're not feeling well, you're not doing well, like, and like, trying to get help like looking up some a doctor it's not easy it's not easy then to call somebody especially like you know then to be told that your insurance is not even taken and I feel like even people that like work uh, a a traditional job of a nine to five some companies like if they have mental health insurance a part of it it's a very like bare minimum I'm very fortunate Mm -hmm. that my current job has really good health insurance and really like, emphasizes mental health. But I feel like even now, like, we went through this whole thing and, like, nothing has really changed. Like, there isn't universal health care. People, uh, this, I guess the Supreme Court did a good thing and it's not going to, like, punish people and have them evicted at least until July 31st. Like, mm-hmm. the government that also got hit. And if it was like, hey, if we give people money, only gave them like two thousand two hundred dollars, so like mm-hmm. who do we turn to or who, who we asked for help uh at this time when we've just literally went through something that's gonna affect us for the rest of our lives and our kids
0: and yeah, I, I think about like the lingering impact right of 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 what we've all experienced collectively over the past year, and how Depending on what happened to you, depend in this experience. Depending on where you were at to begin with, in in this experience, and how you came out of it, or are coming out of it, how you're adjusting mm-hmm. to uh, things opening back up, and, and and like all of these changes, right? Like this has been a year of such uh, monumental change, isolation, and really extreme difficulty for a lot of people, right? Uh And just meeting the basic necessities of life. And to think that we aren't going to come out of this scathe and needing more access to more care, Uh right, is, is ridiculous. And then to have it not be prioritized or funded adequately by the government that we pay taxes to is maddening.
1: Yeah, Like it's maddening that was like another thing of like a huge impact for people was like loneliness and isolation like I haven't i originally from Arizona and I haven't seen my mom and dad and brother and like it's going to be two years um yeah. luckily I'll see them in October but like it's just like my parents were in the age range of like um they could get it like mm-hmm. so it wasn't safe for like you you know even if I wore a mask and did all the things it wasn't safe for me to get an a plane from Chicago to Arizona. I'm not driving. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's just like one of those yeah, things. It's for, like
0: For our listeners outside the United States, it's oh, a long yeah. drive from Chicago. It's
1: a day if you don't <laughs> stop, apparently. <Yeah. laughs> like 24 hours. Yeah, 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 it's very long. So it's just like, that's also like, I haven't like hugged my mom. Like I've talked to her every day. Yeah. I haven't hugged my mom. Mm-hmm. And like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, 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 mm-hmm. yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just like where we're at is like, awful and like at least we like yes we have the information we know it's no longer like hysteria but Mm -hmm. like okay we know the information but there's still like one we can't get the help we need and two it's a huge stigma in a lot of communities especially like brown and black communities i I, you know speaking from the latinx experience like i know like so i used to um i still do some ties but when i first was like omitting is the best way to say that admitting uh, that I needed help I would go runny and then I'd post about what I thought about on runny and some of it did touch on like anxiety and depression and I had family members and friends like reach out like are you sure we should be talking about it or what if a job sees this and you can't like yeah. get a job or something like that and I just was like at first I was like yeah maybe I should post about it but then I was like what and this is my life like if a job isn't gonna hire me because I talk about it they're probably not gonna hire me when I can't get out of bed in the morning and need just like a mental health day you know what Mm -hmm. I mean so Mm -hmm. it's just like I mean that's not for the whole line experience but oftentimes it's like we just like kind of suck it up and I feel like the millennial generation and gen z are so how do you say it right millennial generation whatever I think so yeah (laughs) I'll go with it are like Mm kind of at least having that discussion and we're seeing it more in it so much has even changed in the last like 10 years or um, especially like one thing that I've noticed, and this has been the news, and I think it will still be relevant when the podcast comes out, is like what's happening mm-hmm. with Britney Spears. Like, yeah, just some of this stuff. The shocking part, besides what she said, is like when in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, when all this was happening, like how we as a society and like media treated her. So imagine, mm-hmm. and she probably like, well, she was diagnosed with bipolar, but she probably also had, you know, uh, PTSD from like people taking pictures of her uh she probably had postpartum from having Mm -hmm. two kids like Mm -hmm. imagine having that all that and then people telling like you can't take care of yourself you Mm -hmm. know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i think if we put it on the 2021 lens we see how awful that was but like we're both of the age where we can like remember and like i'll speak for myself i'm guilty of like yeah i thought she was um excuse the term but crazy and Mm -hmm. she just Mm -hmm. needed help whether it's the right day right medication whatever it is but there's still that stigma of like um oh if I take medication like what's everyone gonna think of me but you take medication because you're you know your stomach hurts (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. I take a a pill every damn day because I have a hiatal hernia and it keeps my the acid in my stomach in my stomach so
1: yeah um, I also take I take one to make sure I don't have a baby when I don't want
0: one. Like, do we take it <laughs> yeah, anyway? I do take that, too. Yeah, I forgot about yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't forget about that. Oh, no, shit. No, I'm OK. I did it. I did it today. Yeah. You're like,
1: <laughs> did I? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: um, are there any other like stats or things that you wanted to to make sure to cover in this segment? Because um, I definitely want to get to sort of like our own journeys, but want to make sure that we've covered um everything you wanted to cover.
1: Uh, yeah, I just want to point out like of, um, communities that are just being affected. Uh, one of the study also talked about, um, also like LGBTQ plus community, like a lot of people are, uh, in the study said about 36 of those, um, that they surveyed were having experiencing frequent suicidal ideation, yeah. um, which is like not it's hard to hear, but like, this is something we like need to keep up. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why stuff like pride, not just in the month of June, but like representation really matters of seeing the different types of people. And that leads into like the BIPOC communities, especially in the last year of this study, I said that people who identify as Asian or Pacific Islander are searching more for mental health resources in 2020 than ever before. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I mean, part of it is like some of like, a former uh, orange leader was like spreading like the word lies about where the virus came from and putting people in harm's way. Mm-hmm. And um, that is really tough on communities, especially when yours is being the one targeted. <laughs> and also uh, Native American and American Indian screeners uh, of those had the highest average percentage change for over time for suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Um, and also uh, another group Black and African-American screeners. So those who are like looking to like for uh, for help and where to get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that are part of this like study had the highest average percentage change over time for anxiety and depression. So wow, um, I know those aren't the best facts,
0: but like those need to be said. They're but, true. Like, they're true. true.
1: It, yeah. Yeah. It needs it's to like,
0: be set up. I'm oh, sorry. No, I just say it helps demonstrate the current state of affairs, right? Like we, we have a lot of people who need some help. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: so when people are like, oh, they're just words or just get over it. It's like if you're constantly seeing images of, you know, people hating, hating who you are, something that you can't change uh, or you're seeing like someone who's supposed to be a quote unquote protector, killing people that look like you or people, your loved ones or of that, like you can't just be like, okay with it and think Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that's one thing that like, we'll talk a little bit about, but a lot of there's resources that's going to help, like, not only like just talk those, talk it out, but like, what does those traumas mean? And what is generational trauma too, Mm -hmm. especially. Mm
0: -hmm. So no, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm Whew, okay. Thanks for present day impact, Maria. So we're going to talk a little bit about our own journeys and sort of um, how we've engaged with the topic personally, and then also think about sort of, um, I don't want to say it's advice, again, because we aren't mental health practitioners, but things that maybe have worked for us or that we've found helpful in in thinking about this. So yeah. um, as we've been talking about a little bit in this podcast, when I like for me personally when I think about mental health I think about it as so much more than sort of like mental illness right I think about it as um sort of meaning that I like to me mental health sort of encompasses unraveling and unlearning a lot of harmful bullshit uh developing tools and resources to support your own mental health and then working to build, um, mentally healthy communities who also have access to all of these tools and resources, um, uh, and each other. Mm -hmm. And I mean, for me, so like my personal journey with, with mental health, like sort of started in my twenties, um, when I was diagnosed with, um, like a major depressive disorder, right. I got very sad in my early twenties for a whole host of reasons, but Thinking back on it, I think that I had anxiety and um, some issues with depression for years and was just sort of hiding it, figuring out how to get along. And then I think I crashed into like the post-college era where I didn't have that instant community around me. I didn't have as much structure and I went into a very dark place. And for me, I was fortunate enough that I had access to resources to help me uh get started on accessing help right like i I could pay for therapy I could pay to go to see psychiatrists i could I was very fortunate in the fact that I knew something was wrong and I was able to identify that and then think about next steps to be like, I don't think it should feel this way. And I also feel very fortunate that like that was my thinking process too, was that it was like, it shouldn't be this hard to do Mm -hmm. normal, get out of bed, like get a shower type thing. Right. Um, And so I sort of battled bouts of depression throughout my 20s. It would come and it would go, um, kind of depending on life circumstances. And I was on medication for a long time, for about like 10, 12 years, I would say. And then um, as I got into my 30s, had done a lot of work over the years, um, and I think developed a lot of healthier skills and set of coping mechanisms and my life was also in a good place and like clicking along in a lot of ways Um, I started to feel like that the medication wasn't as necessary and so after a long period of like working with my psychiatrist I eventually tapered off of the medication and it is interesting like I did happen to like taper off of it completely in 2020 and I was like that's an interesting time to get off medication, but it's working out so far. That was my personal journey with it. Um, And that's not to say that I advocate for people getting off medication. I think do whatever works for you Mm -hmm. um, in in your own journey and with your providers. Um, But I think the thing that is pretty stark about my journey is the fact that I was so able to access resources at the beginning of this right and I think that that helped set me up for success because I knew that I felt better when I went to therapy I knew that I felt better when I was talking to people about this and when I was actively working on it and even during times when I like went back to school and didn't have money wasn't making money didn't have like good insurance because I knew that these things worked I worked to prioritize getting access to care that was affordable right like I knew how to work the system too a little bit which I think that we'll talk we'll talk more about but um that's kind of like my personal journey with it and I think that for for me something that I think about when I think about where I am today versus where I started is um a lot of the things that like therapists ask you to do or like exercises or like trying new thought patterns or whatever it is a lot of that feels really inauthentic at first right like it feels you're like uh this is bullshit and it's not working and it feels like i'm doing something that doesn't feel real or um authentic I will say that after years of doing a lot of this work, I feel like I do have a set of skills, a set of awareness, a set of options when I get into um, not great thinking patterns that do feel much more intuitive. Like it does take like practice, I think building these skills and developing uh, a, ways that you get in touch with the way that you're talking to yourself or the way that you're thinking about things and then you can reach for this set of skills that you've developed and it does feel much more kind of natural for lack of a better term than it does at the beginning um and I think one thing that you know like you were you touched on earlier around sort of like sharing some of your thoughts with with people is I think that practicing being vulnerable like vulnerability was not a a skill that I was taught right (laughs) I don't
1: know if anyone's really taught it (laughs) yeah
0: yeah we gotta do better we gotta do better with vulnerability but um like finding people that are trustworthy and that work for you at the time to share your story with to feel like you can be seen by is Mm -hmm. really important and that's not necessarily always the people that um you think it would be right or who it should be necessarily yeah sometimes you have to work to build that group of people
1: yeah and sometimes yeah. you have to cut people out that aren't providing that um mm-hmm. yeah it's a really tough decision because sometimes you're like is this person because there's a difference between someone who's like willing to listen and but like you have boundaries or someone who's just like pushing down or
0: punching down on mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely um okay and then I'll just have a couple more things um so for me I think that the other thing that I always try to remind myself of because this is still a journey that I'm on like I'm just like yeah. in a pretty good spot right now but the pandemic Oof, god I, I cried. <laughs> it was it was rough it was real rough um I think something that's helpful for me to keep in mind is like there isn't an end point where you just get to exist in this permanent state of happiness, right? Like that I think was very much something that I was hoping to get to at the beginning of this. I was like, if I go to therapy, I'll get fixed. I'll be confident all the time and I'll be happy all the time and everything will just work out. (laughs) Um, But it's not that case or that's not the case. But what I would say is that at this point, I do feel much more sort of capable of identifying a feeling understanding its origin, accepting that it's information that I should pay attention to, and then depending on what feels right, sort of taking an action to move through and deal with that emotion. Um, When it comes to finding and accessing care, I would say a good place to start is like Looking up folks on psychology today, they have a really robust um, directory of practitioners and providers that you can read about their personal sort of um, approach to therapy and also see um, what type of insurance that they that they uh, that they accept. I would also have a look at organizations in your area that serve your community, right? That you're a part of because they often have um, websites where they link out to other resources that also serve that community, which is really helpful. Like for me, I'm thinking about like the Chicago Women's Health Center. Like they Mm -hmm. have a ton of resources on their pages to help sort of hopefully direct folks to get to get care and and towards other organizations that can be helpful.
1: Yeah, Howard Brown uh, as
0: well has that too. Okay, great 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 great. Mm -hmm. and then um if you're near a university that trains uh people or trains practitioners um they often have accessible and discounted services available from the folks in the final years of their training and while they're students they are um supervised and like Mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier there are practitioners that offer sliding scales but all of this is just difficult when you're in the depths of something so it's making hopefully finding ways to make accessing care easier I think is is key
1: for sure and I think knowing it um to help someone else to is really helpful to so see if your friend reaches out or you see them having a hard time like don't be like so it's, I, we all do this is like, Oh, call me if you need anything. Sometimes it's very hard to call if yeah. you need something. So sometimes like you having this knowledge and recognizing, okay, this is similar, like offer that help. Be like, what's your health insurance? Like, what are your days and what's going to help you? I mean, mm-hmm. um, this kind of segues into like my journey is without yeah. my mom doing all that. I don't know where I'd be. Cause like my mom, like who was in Arizona, like I'm going to start crying, Yeah, <laughs> uh, no. recognize that. And like, was really helpful Mm -hmm. on my journey so um growing up like
0: just uh sorry thinking of my mom (laughs) no it's okay and i know you haven't seen her in so long but you will in october you will
1: yes uh uh, she's gonna be like me Why are you crying uh (laughs) (laughs) growing up for uh mexican American first generation my dad uh eastern european Mm-hmm. Uh so I was like my brother and I were sometimes the only people in our area that were like uh biracial and I didn't really there was like other people, but just where we grew up, there mm-hmm. wasn't like necessarily a lot of like diversity and then diversity with being biracial. So oftentimes like uh that kind of was like being sort of an outsider was always like oh a, a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> of like not fitting in, in different ways, but it was sort of like I kind of made it sort of how do I blend in with people? And then when I didn't really like blend in or they didn't like, like me, I took it to heart of like, well, how come you're not liking me and like trying
0: to fit in? So I was like not really liking myself and um, doing yeah, things like, that- Yeah, like took it to mean like something about you as opposed to meaning something about them.
1: maybe Right, <laughs> I mean, which is actuality. like, <laughs> yeah. which is which is something it took me years to like realize like some of the times, like it has nothing to do with you yeah. and like you're you're holding a lot of this in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's affecting you but not the other person mm-hmm. um so like certain things just like a lot was happening but I just like kept it moving and like it's that was sort of like my coping mechanism and I had seen therapists for like different things I remember like when my uncle and grandpa passed like I saw uh, a, a group that was like helping for mm-hmm. grieving and all that but it was just like oftentimes it was like I don't know what you're talking about or like, this isn't apply to me or anything like that. Cause it was just like survival and survival. And that sort of kind of, when I moved to Chicago, like survival, just like for the first time, I really wasn't really around a lot of, uh, people I knew are comfort like I had some family but it was just different from the family I had in Arizona first time I had to really make friends and Mm -hmm. any of that and but it's just like okay I keep it moving oh you know uh you know binge eating just keep moving like Mm -hmm. it was showing up in like different things and um in 2017 is almost is where it kind of didn't I couldn't just keep it moving
0: and it was like showing up in different things yeah it Um, wasn't it wasn't letting you continue to move yeah yeah
1: and a part of it is like, unfortunately, would have to uh, the 2016 election was like a huge thing oh. that impacted. Oh. Like, you're like, I can't believe this is happening. And then you're, a part of you is like, okay, maybe it won't be that bad. And then it just got bad. Like we're seeing, you know, um, different things that was happening. You don't need to rehash it. But then also like a personal thing, like in like one week I had broken up with my boyfriend at the time and uh, like got laid off of my job, the job that I was working, like, 70, 80 hours. After. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, I don't know if you ever filled out unemployment, but if you have, have. Uh, there's I've a been part- fortunate that
0: I haven't. No. Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. So I don't know if this has changed, but um, there is a section where you put like how many days you worked for companies like employment um, mm-hmm. and then how many days were you actually like, worked? And that was I knew how many days I did not work, which was 12 days in a year like because I worked like weekends and it was like that job it was crazy (laughs) but like it was that job where it's like this and they let you know it was a very bad work environment too they let Mm -hmm. you know like anyone could have this job like this is the job people want so you start believing that too plus it took like a lot just to get the job Mm -hmm. so it's just like so much of that and then so I was like unemployed for a little bit but then I was like, okay, well, we just get another job. And I got one in two months. And it was an like, awful work environment to the point where like, um, so I called to like figure out how to get short-term disability. Mm-hmm. I I'd been going to the doctor and the doctor like recommended it and you had to be working there six months. And I was like, I can't. Like, it was, like mm-hmm. in my six months would have been two weeks or something. I was like, I can't mm-hmm. be here anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, But during that time is sort of like where I was like, feeling it and I was like I would just be crying I would be like really depressed I just Mm -hmm. couldn't get out of bed and then uh, I went to go see a a doctor and they would give me like medicine that wasn't really agreeing with me and they weren't really listening to me Mm -hmm. um I had one doctor who like (laughs) I was trying to get off one medication to another because the other one was like making me very sick like physically Mm -hmm. And luckily, like my mom had like called doctors and had done all that. So I knew that like you had to like, if you're going to switch medications, you had to like uh, wean off medication A to get on medication B. But they were like, oh, you could just start it the next day. And I was and I was just like, that did not seem right, blah, blah, blah. And then she's like, well, you don't want to be depressed, do you? And I was like, what? <laughs> like, yeah, I'm it sorry. was really yeah it was just crazy just like stuff like that and like I was again very fortunate to have like my mom like granted she was like in Arizona Mm -hmm. but like she would call she would like listen to me cry on the phone and just like it was pretty bad so um I had to really I was very fortunate that like with that awful job that I had Mm -hmm. and this other awful job that I had been saving money and Mm -hmm. um you know was able to not like I could quit and like not have a full-time job and do like Jobs here or there for like a mm-hmm. year, and that's what I did to like take care of myself. And I really focused on like my mental health, and I was very lucky that like there were I took side gigs, you know, money where I could to help like survive or anything. But I just really took a year to like focus on my health and like mm-hmm. get better at it. And part of that was like for me is like running. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would like do I would run, and I would like starting my day with just being active, and so like it took time and I'm not saying like now I'm perfect but like Mm -hmm. I have worked really hard to get this place where I'm at where like um like right so I have therapy every Tuesday Uh, Mm -hmm. my therapist like kind of wants to wean me off therapy which is like also very strange because it's like four years and I'm like so I'm not going to see you every Tuesday or every other Tuesday and she's like no but if I'm here if you need it and I'm just like it just seemed weird like I thought for, a, I'd have therapy for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. so yeah, um, but for me, it's talking about it, is oftentimes, like, I've gotten better at talking about it, and sometimes it showed up in, like, my art, which I've talked about, like, my solo show, and, mm-hmm. like, poetry, and what have you, and so sometimes, like, so I, I, sometimes I'm, like, do I have to be sad to create, <laughs> and, like, I don't have to, like, that yeah. was, like, one thing, I was, like, what if I, like, get healthier, and i'm not funny <laughs> lose
0: all of my inspiration for, yeah yeah, yeah. Or a, it makes sense though like because i feel like when you're in it and you're using and you're using that as material right to develop more mm-hmm. your material and it's such a trope too right like the suffering artist um, yeah
1: and we don't have to be suffering no or or, yeah. or, or if like it's okay to have a I, I'm sure someone hears this and they're rolling in their eyes, but it's, it's okay to have a job and have money coming in. And like, mm-hmm. we just have to figure out how to do art otherwise. And I think like, if that wasn't shown before the pandemic, it's definitely shown now is like, what yeah. can you, like, we need to set priorities. And like, I was doing shows like five, six times a week. And mm-hmm. some of them were like great shows and I love them. And some were just like, uh, to, Perform, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: but like not mm-hmm.
1: actually like like it. You know what I mean. So it's just like I think the pandemic, some positive showing us like different priorities, and I'm hoping that stays that way. But like we were talking about earlier, it's it's very hard to not get back into the hustle and grind of things um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when when nothing has really changed as far as society. Like we haven't, we went through a traumatic thing and we as humans, like adjust, that's what we're supposed to do. But if we don't deal with it, like what's it going to be like, God forbid, if this very becomes bigger, like what's, what's going to happen next, you know? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So
1: that's really tough. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing
0: Maria. I just
1: keep crying all the time. I'm just, but I also like growing up, I was like, I got made fun of being sensitive and like crying all the time, but like, it took years to be like, nah, again, that's your problem. Like if I express myself and I cry, like, that's just how I express myself. Um, and that's where like some, like, again, words can hurt and do matter Mm because they have a lasting impact. So like, telling someone to stop crying is just gonna make them cry more telling someone to stop yeah. like having anxiety is like not how it works either
0: <laughs> you're like ah. uh you're like uh yeah if if you if you telling me to calm down actually worked uh we would have a world of calm people so go fuck yourself please right yes. exactly <laughs> oh, i don't like that now i like the sensitivity thing too i Like, it took me years to really understand how sensitive of a person I am. I cry real, real, real easily. Always have. Always have. But like, used to hate myself for it, like when I was growing up and be so upset with myself that I would get so upset, right? That I would Mm -hmm. feel things so much. And that's just some more bullshit like that we got to unlearn. And now I think it's one of like my greatest strengths that I can feel things so powerfully, you know?
1: I think that it helps you in different ways, like, as an artist and as a professional, as a friend, as a family Mm -hmm. member, like, you can, it's learning how to, the sensitivity to, like, be in your power and also, like, have boundaries with it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but sometimes I think... so also I didn't say this, but I was, I was diagnosed with generalized anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, if I'm in a, a very anxious state, sometimes other people's anxiety like can affect me. Um, and so I have to be like, I really want to help you, but I can't help you without affecting me. And I had to mm-hmm. learn that too. And that was like one thing that's always been around. I view sensitivity superpower, and I don't want it to
0: be taken over. Yes. <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. no I like that I like that it's a Mm -hmm. superpower that has to be safeguarded yeah 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 Yeah. I like that
1: one thing also that I want to point out is like sometimes like our voice or like our anxiety depression will tell us like we're unlovable unlikable Mm -hmm. and like no one likes us or friends and I thought like I'll never like have a good friend or like a love uh, he's gonna listen to this um but I'm happy that, like, I'm in a state that helps me out and that I could be a, a good friend, a good partner and, like, able to find love and, like, a good relationship, good friendship and be a good family member. But it took a long <laughs> time to get there.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's it. Um, St- <laughs> Stacy, she's so powerful in all of our heads, isn't she, telling us all these lies that, um yeah. about how we're unlovable or that we'll never belong to anybody or to any group or feel like yeah. the the sense of ease, right? Of just existing and being who you are. God damn it, Stacy!
1: What a bitch. I know. I think that's <laughs> okay. She is a bitch. Uh, I think also just like existing is um, for all of us is like a powerful thing and almost like mm-hmm. a form of rebellion in a way.
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, (laughs) which mm -hmm. i think is pretty cool (laughs) yeah absolutely absolutely okay so we're gonna do we're gonna do our second to last segment which is just like a quick rundown of like um things that we find helpful or like places where people can continue to learn more and so for me i feel like ted talks are real easy they have whole curated lists. They're Ooh. like 10, 12, 18 minutes, whatever it is, but they have whole curated lists on mental health, mental health care, and thinking about um, mental illness in different and inclusive ways and some of the the really cool stuff that's happening in the field now. Um, I will say for like a solid year, I listened to Tara Brock's podcast, which she just has a very soothing voice. And it's like recordings <laughs> of talks that she's giving at the center of hers in Washington, D.C. And she'll have like a theme of the day and it can be like belonging or it can be um, uh, anxiety. It can be worry. It can be like the, the the double down that we do on ourselves, like when we get down on ourselves or being down on ourselves. Right. And like mm-hmm. she'll give a talk about it. And it's just really it just really. I connected to it and then she does like a little meditation practice at the end of each one too, which I found really helpful. Oh, okay. Um, I feel like Brene Brown's work on vulnerability and connection is, is like classic and, and really good. She has a special out on Netflix and then she also has a Ted talk. She has a bunch of books and she also has a podcast now on Spotify. And speaking of sort of like the loneliness that we were talking about, um, throughout the pandemic, uh, Dr. Vivek Murphy, Murphy, um, who either was the Surgeon General or it's the Surgeon General. Oh, no, I'm going to mess that up. Anyway, he has a book on loneliness and he was on her podcast and they talked about it. And that was You'd very cool. you be like cool. current and or former. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Current and or former. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And then something that was really interesting to me when I was uh, doing uh, a little bit of work around stuff a couple years ago was the idea of developing a better awareness of like the connection between the body and the brain. Mm-hmm. Right. And the book that I found really fascinating was called The Body Keeps the Score um oh no I, I don't know how to say this person's name but by Bessel van der Kolk I'll say but I'll link to it in the show notes um but it was fascinating to sort of see like how trauma and experience gets processed by the brain and sometimes then just stays in the body um mm-hmm. in ways that we don't and and impacts us and in, in ways that we don't expect it to and yeah. I'll pass it over to Maria
1: yeah um that kind of leads into some of the one's that i am recommending especially like what stays in the body one type of uh organizations called decolonizing therapy mm-hmm. it talks about how like colonization and how uh generational trauma can like uh impact us even today and also like s- systematic inequalities and like allows you to say like what you're feeling or what you're experiencing is real and helping you get to like that type of therapy is different like Helpful for you, mm-hmm. um, especially in finding the right therapist. um inclusive therapist allows you also it's like a directory, and they train people uh, in for certain communities. I know, and I didn't talk about this. I just remembered is like when I was going to different therapists, um, and when i when I f- was just going who was closest and like who mm-hmm. could help me, you know, or like their specialties sounded like something. But oftentimes I had to explain certain experiences or certain things and then was maybe told it was not real. Like being gaslit in therapy is awful or uh, sensitive. Um, mm-hmm. One time I remember, and this was like right before I got my uh, for the last two therapists. So this was mm-hmm. like before them. Um, I was had this lady and uh, she was a white woman. And I say that for the following. Mm-hmm. She I was talking about something. I don't even remember what it was. And she goes, oh, it's because you're biracial. And she says this as if that's her like diagnosis. And I just like shut down. Mm. And um, I know you don't know me very well, but those that do know me, when I am very quiet or shut down, like I'm done.
0: Um, <laughs> <Okay>. I <laughs> refuse. I have, and, I have finished this interaction, even if yeah. you're still talking. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And like, it was just, and she's like, okay, we'll schedule the next appointment. I was like, oh, I'll get back to you. And I never yeah. scheduled it. So in looking for the therapist I have now, um, the last few, I uh, made sure there were, if they if I couldn't find someone who was Latinx, I made sure there were women of color. just certain parts mm-hmm. that like, to me, they couldn't, so I could understand more of my experience. And I'm not saying that like other uh white people could do that, but just for me, that was like very important to make sure yeah. they had some of that background to where certain things like, uh, if I was being gaslit at work, when a woman at work asked me, it's like, oh, what's your favorite Cuban food? And I go, Mm -hmm. oh, no, I'm Mexican. You know, try to correct them nicely. They're like, well, what's your favorite Cuban food? And it's like, but I don't, I don't know any Cuban food because I'm Mexican. So -hmm. it's like that kind of stuff right there where it's like the therapist could see how the problem and how that affected me the rest of the day. Uh, it's just certain experiences that, maybe like a Latinx person could understand
0: mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm.
1: versus someone who wasn't Latinx or a woman of color. So like inclusive therapist helps you find those people and they have the proper training too. That's just another type of training. Yeah. Um, that's really important. Uh, I feel like, girls-
0: culturally, like culturally competent treatment is so vital for people yeah. to be able to, one, not be harmed by the therapists and the practitioners that they're going to see. Right. Which is incredibly damaging. But then to also gain full access to the benefits of of seeing somebody. Right. Like and being able to be seen by somebody that you see yourself in or that whose experience is at least similar enough to validate what you're going through. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think that's very important, especially for someone um, like I will never understand the black experience in America mm-hmm. and I'm not going to sit here and say I understand I can empathize and and help where I need to be and be an ally there uh, but if uh, someone who is black and wants to be a black therapist, I think that's great I think that's way to understand them and sometimes it's needed in that, and that an inclusive therapist helps you find someone in your area in your budget, Um, I actually did the virtual marathon last year, Chicago Marathon Mm -hmm. um, and raised money for them. And they were like super nice. (laughs) Um, And it helps train the professionals uh, for that, which is really important too. Awesome. Um, Another thing uh, is Brown Girl Self Care. It's a fun Instagram (laughs) has like amazing affirmations and way to self care. Sometimes after self care, people think it's just like, spend money to, uh, get your nails done, which is the form, but it could also Mm -hmm. just be like a meditation. It could listen to a podcast or whatever it is to help you like feel better. Mm
0: -hmm. Um,
1: and then a podcast recommendation I really like is Hey Girl podcast. They tell a lot of great stories and they have like great advice. And I think with any podcast and I wish maybe I was more into it before everything, I think it would have felt less alone, Mm -hmm. which is why I like, I like to go on podcasts and talk about this or like post about mental health because I couldn't find it as much or I felt alone, like I was no in person and like, turns out I'm not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's hard to talk about too. It's hard to be vulnerable. And oftentimes social media is like, here's the best thing that's happening to me. You don't want to talk about that. So, yeah. and that's yeah. and that's fine too. I think we have to find where we're not constantly opening and bleeding for our
0: or bleeding for the trauma kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so absolutely absolutely all great resources will include links to everything in the show notes so people can find this stuff very easily and now um maria we've talked about a lot of shit that matters (laughs) and some pretty heavy shit thank you so much for for doing the show i do i do want to close with the segment that um i'm calling shit that legit doesn't matter Mm -hmm. and you mentioned earlier i'm sorry if you can hear this my cat is like scratching to get into this closet that i Mm. uh record my podcast in but i can hear her (laughs) she's like trying to get in the door i'm like luna Uh, chill out i'll be right with you (laughs) um okay so in this segment of shit that legit doesn't matter you mentioned earlier that you had been to see the most recent fast and furious movie Mm -hmm. i have not seen it but i do have a question for you sure like if you were in a car chase mm-hmm. who from Fast and the Furious do you want to drive your getaway car
1: oh it's uh Vin Diesel Dom uh, okay <laughs> before I get into it I know the segment is called shit that legit doesn't matter uh, uh-huh. it matters to me <laughs> <Okay>.
0: <laughs> sorry
1: I didn't no, mean no, no, to no, invalidate no, no, I'm not saying you did that I'm just uh-huh. letting people know that it does it's I uh quick sidebar. When mm-hmm. uh the pandemic first started, I was quarantined with my boyfriend and I had never seen Star Wars or Marvel. And I was just like, I, I guess now's the time to mm-hmm. watch the mm-hmm. 20 hours of movies. Mm-hmm. What else am I doing? Uh <laughs> and uh I could see where people are very fandom, and I was like, oh, I'm a fan of things the way people are star wars and marvel like i like the movies. So don't get me wrong mm-hmm. and i think i'm a yeah. bit of a uh a fan a fan uh, stan of like marvels especially mm-hmm. like some other stuff uh but then i realized that i'm a huge fan of rupaul's drag race and the fast and furious <laughs> uh,
0: okay which <laughs> goes back to your
1: question who would drive the getaway car it'd be Don Van diesel for those who uh-huh. have never heard of Fast of yours want to uh the thing is about family <laughs> mm-hmm. and Vin Diesel character and Paul Walker's character they have like this like brotherhood and they bring their friends along and uh the movie start and the whole series started uh they were just stealing uh DVD players and now they're legit superheroes mm-hmm. and the leader mm-hmm. of that is Vin Diesel like a movie does not really work like some of the movies that aren't the greatest of the franchise and I do have a list of ones I like and okay how an okay. order um don't work as well without vin diesel or dom mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. like he's just vin diesel like i you know once he realized like he's in on the joke and legit becoming a superhero from it he just took this movie in a crazy direction also no matter where he's at his car the same car is always there <laughs> like no matter yeah, what like he could be still like, there the first from the first movie. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, there's been some destruction with it. Um, uh-huh. Something happens to it in this latest one. So it might not come back in the 10th oh, and 11th, no. okay. but not bad. Like, I don't want to give it away because it, it mm-hmm. is, but like, legit, like, he would be driving this getaway car. I'd also, side note, i not, I, we really know how to drive. I'm not mm-hmm. into cars. I don't know what it is. But the movies are just so fun to watch that you're just like, yeah, I'm into it. Whatever this is, I'm into it.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, I love that. All right. So I remember I saw the first Fast and the Furious like in the theater mm-hmm. and it was me and my friend Mo. Um, and we were like real hyped up after seeing this movie from like all the attractive people in it. But then, yeah, just like all the car chase scenes and everything that happened, like we were into it. I watched like the second one, I think, and then I don't think I've seen any of them since. So this may be my next project is to catch up on Fast and the Furious. And I I do have a question. Do I yeah. have to have seen the previous eight to enjoy the ninth in the theaters or should I go see it in the theater? You should go see it in the theater. You don't okay. have to watch it. Will it help? Sure. See, my friend Danny also loves the Fast and the Furious uh, franchise. And I feel like I maybe need to apologize for making fun of her for it earlier in our lives. And I just need to get on the fucking ride and get but on also, board. So
1: if you're looking for movies that are like Shakespearean or Oscar winning, you're not going to find it here.
0: <laughs> this isn't that. <laughs> yeah.
1: okay. There's the scene. It's like my favorite. And I'm going to try to tell you without laughing, but it's very uh-huh. difficult. So, okay. Paul Walker and then Diesel number five. I'm just going to give you some stuff. Paul Walker finds out that he's going to be a dad. He uh-huh. goes up to, ben diesel sorry he asked them like oh, what do you know what, what was your father like because paul walker's the character's uh father's mm-hmm. no, not around um and he just goes it's the worst acting with the worst things like i remember everything about my father like he would the church <laughs> i can't i'm gonna do this i don't know anyways it's just it's so it's so funny because it's like it's supposed to be like this like scene of like he's trying to like bond with him and like Mm -hmm. figure out how to be a dad for it when he didn't have one and then it's just like it's just bad acting Mm -hmm. but it's so like you give in like you have to give in if we're gonna believe if we're gonna believe in superheroes and star wars and stuff we can believe that cars yes
0: (laughs) we can believe in in good fast cars that do crazy shit yes okay yeah all right i'm a convert i'll 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 get on board yeah
1: but if you watch him and you're like you know this is not for me and that's okay okay
0: (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh maria well this has been wonderful thank you so much for coming on the show handling a difficult topic and i feel like we covered a lot of ground um and we'll have to get together soon in person and I'll have to come see you do burlesque. That's what's next on our agenda.
1: (laughs) I'm hoping, I'm putting out in the universe. Uh, Mm -hmm. I'm hoping we have a Halloween run Um, or Christmas. I just hope it comes back. Uh, It would be at a noise theater, Mm -hmm. pressure on them. But uh, (laughs) I know that uh, as theaters open up, there is an issue of safety. So I completely understand, (laughs) but I know like uh I, w- I will be doing burlesque soon hopefully great
0: so. <laughs> great <laughs> all right well thanks maria you have a good night you too thanks bye. bye equally funny is produced by me kate rogan in collaboration with each episode's co-host our intro music is by tim Durier, and our cover art is by rachel nevers episodes are edited and mixed by area code If you're looking to get in touch, reach out to equallyfunnypodcast at gmail.com. You can also find and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at equallyfunnypod. Equally Funny is a part of the Trident Network. To learn more about our videos, live shows, and other podcasts, please visit thetridentnetwork.com.